Hello and welcome to Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions, where every week we discuss some scientific misconceptions with the hope that you learn something you didn't already know about the world. I'm here with my co-host, Camden. Was that the doorbell? Hands look Burton. And joining me as always is my co-host, Margaret. Get that door, Hands look Burton. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the show! show. which is a Welsh traditional song. It's beautiful and, most importantly, is in the public domain. That was me playing it on violin. Beautifully done. Thank you. It really calls for a harp, but I didn't have time to learn how to play that instrument. Okay. We now know who's more dedicated to the show. <laughs> I've never even pretended to know how to play the harp. <laughs> um, our first segment every week is where we share something we are excited about. I'll start this week. Um, tomorrow I have a fantasy baseball draft, which I realize might have been the last moment people start, uh, kept listening to this episode. Oh, um, gosh. so I'll keep it brief. I am very into spreadsheets, Ugh. which Margaret knows That's an about me. Yep. And I also like watching baseball. I'm one of maybe five people left in the world who do. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's I'm excited great. to combine both of them. And uh, look through hundreds of players' names tomorrow as I try to figure out who will I put on a team and pretend to be smart about it and then end up losing anyway because life is random and so is baseball. The anticipation is just, I can't even imagine what you must be going through. (laughs) It's just a bevy of emotions. I have a fantasy about baseball. Go for it. That it's less than four hours. Hey. <laughs> Margaret, what are you excited about this week? Besides that sick burn, you know what I'm excited about, Camden? Just, murder mystery oh, parties. I was going to say, please don't be murder. <laughs> murder mystery parties. We went to our friend Janet's murder mystery masquerade ball party. And it was really fun. I haven't done a murder mystery kind of party since I was, like, in middle school, maybe. And this one was much more complicated than those were. It was really, really fun. Um, I played the character Yuna Verse. She was was an astronaut. And what were you, Camden? I was Mike Robes, Mm -hmm. a uh, bioterrorism expert. Yes. And... We really had a good time. Everybody was very into their characters. Everyone really dressed up. And we weren't the murderer, so... We weren't the murderer. And I guess the murderer. Mm Mm-hmm. Well done. Yeah. So that was really fun. I'm also excited about raspberries, which I'm currently eating. Yep. And that was a way that we celebrated our week, which was also a birthday week. Mm Mm-hmm. Margaret and I have almost the same birthday. Almost a year apart. Yep. Very exciting. Um, so let's head into the main segment of the show... The Misconceptions. Every week, we'll each bring a new scientific misconception to share, explain, and discuss. Um, As always, we don't know what each other's misconception is. We haven't told each other. So it's, it's really like we haven't heard it. 
it's to make this feel more like a discussion instead of a rehearsed thing. And we're learning along with you, the listener. So what are we going to do? Flip. We're going to flip a gift card. To a vegan cafe. Ugh, thanks, Janet. And Festus. And Billy. Okay, what's... Are you really going to flip this? Yeah. Okay, go flip this gift card. Go ahead. Uh, heads is the vegan cafe logo, and tails is a slight part. Okay. You call it in the air. Yep. Heads. Uh, tails. Ah. Uh, out first. Go for it. I'm going to eat my raspberries. Oh my gosh. Please, in, straight into the mic. Yeah. Really eat the mic. We've gotten some feedback that they really like it when we eat into the mic. But these aren't crunchy, so it's not going to be weird. Okay. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, you know there are noises with it. <laughs> Uh, Margaret, mm-hmm. what is the human body temperature? 98.6, baby. All right. Turns out, wasn't a misconception. Your turn. Oh, great. All right, so... Oh, um, <laughs> turns out, not 98.6. Gosh dang it. Despite the fact that I think everyone might think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's learn a little history about how we got 98.6 as the human body temperature. For that boy band, right? 98 degrees? Yeah. They originated it in 1990. Weren't they all doctors? They were all what? doctors. Yeah. Oh. It was just a band of doctors. <laughs> Cute. Um, they figured how would we get people to learn this stupid, irrelevant number. Let's sing about it. Yep. And I did. Um, Carl Reinhold August Wunderlich. In 1868, determined the human body temperature to be 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And for the last over 150 years, it has remained in pop culture as such. And in non-pop culture, I feel like... culture. Culture. Um, How did he do this? Well, it actually is fascinating. And I feel like, despite the fact that we sometimes will mock the ancient science times um the, his methodology is pretty impressive mm-hmm. margaret you have something to say um i don't know if i should say it i felt like now that you're talking about this doesn't this have something to do with a horse uh we will get there or but horse's let's not butt? put the horse before the cart the horse's butt before the cart okay there's the door <laughs> and you may leave <laughs> I can't. I still have to do my misconception. Right. Okay, go ahead. Um, How did he get it so wrong? So, he didn't get it so... I mean, so wrong is in the eye of the holder here. He didn't... Well, we'll find out. So, he took a thermometer that was about a foot long. Oh. And thankfully, (laughs) based off the way you just reacted, it was an armpit thermometer. Phew. Um, Although, many of these temperatures can be measured rectally. As I figured, that's what the ope came from. Yep, that was an ope. It wasn't the forehead one. No. No. That was a that was a anal thermometer ope. <laughs> uh, we, we say rectal on the science podcast, <laughs> you weirdo. Um, so he used a foot-long thermometer uh, that took 20 minutes to calibrate because that's a lot of mercury. That's a lot. What year was this? I'm sorry. Uh, 1868 was when he published, although we are going to learn there is no way he started this research one, two, or even three years beforehand Mm. uh, because he tested an astounding 25,000 people. What? Now, granted, he had a team. Sure. Um, He did not do this all by himself. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that is a much higher number than you will ever see in any clinical trial, potentially ever. Yeah. Um, Who has the time and the resources? Calculating an average uh, cal- or calibration time of 20 minutes with 25,000 people gets us well over 10,000 days of measurements. It is a like s- solid days? Like 24 like hours. Liquid days? No. Yeah. Oh, like, oh gosh, I don't even want to break it. Like, it's, it's like solid days. How many solid days? Over 10,000. Wow. Okay. If you, again. Right, you're not doing it all around. Wasn't doing it by himself. He wasn't doing this back to back 24 7. Uh-huh. Um, but still, that's incredibly impressive. We won't take that away from him. Sure. Um, sad to say, with a sample size as big as any statistician would ever have hoped. Um, that is not quite what we think is the most accurate, uh, body temperature. Um, that is really a bummer. Yeah, it really <laughs> is a bummer. Um, fun fact, and we won't hear the last of Wunderlich here, uh, of Wunderlich, uh, he was actually one of the first physicians to suggest that fevers were not, um, an actual disease, but a symptom mm. of other diseases. Okay, so, so we still, we this, have that to appreciate. This guy knew what he was doing, mm. um, and definitely did his best to do, uh, service to the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, So today, most of the published work out there puts it at a range between 97.7 and 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, The largest study I found uh, from Sundelwander, um, which is the Scandinavian Journal of Care Sciences, put the average body temperature at about 97.7 degrees Fahrenheit. So for you keeping track at home, that is... 0.9 0.9 degrees Fahrenheit, about a degree lower, um, which is crazy when you really think about it, because if you had a 99.6 degree temperature, people might think that you were close to a fever. Mm-hmm. So to be a whole, almost a whole degree lower on average, um, That's is deal. quite the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I want to note here is that I gave you a range of 97.7 and 99.5, um, Obviously, every human being is different. Right. Um, we can't say this number is like what you you are supposed to be at. And what we're actually going to hear see in a second is uh, it also depends on your age, your sex, and actually what time of day it is. Um, so just take away from today, please don't freak out if it's between a 97 and a 99. But if it's over 100, you're going to learn. And maybe right now you are like... It's 100, what do I do? <laughs> that is a fever. Sure. Let's just call that a fever over 100. And even if it's lower, you can still go to the doctor. It's okay. Yeah, you're okay. You can go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. You pause this, this podcast. Yeah. Go to the doctor. Um, so, Margaret. Yeah. Which uh, biological sex has the higher body temperature on average? I'm going to base this purely off of you and me and say females. It is. Hey. Why? Because I can't maintain my own body temperature. Correct. Um, you are always cold. It is so true. Um, this is something Wunderlich noticed too. Who? Wunderlich. Thank you. Uh, he found that women typically have higher body temperatures than men, um, and often these change throughout the month because... Of the, the tides. tides. Of, of the menstrual cycle. <laughs> The uh, red tide, am I right? The, oh, God. There's the door. It's right here. Uh, Audience, it is to my right, her left. I don't see it. I'm not leaving. I live oh, here. God. Um, so, 
And um, the coolest thing that I definitely didn't know um, is that your temp. I mean, I guess I knew when I started reading about it, but your temperature uh, changes throughout the day. Mm-hmm. When do you think it is highest? I bet. I bet it's highest. Ooh, I bet it's highest at night. What makes you think that? Because you're all snuggled up. <laughs> oh, so it's highest when you're snuggled up under our covers. Mm-hmm. Do you think doctors are like, like, all right, they're in bed, give me your tongue. Yep. Uh-huh. Or your armpit. Or give me, yeah, okay, thank you, you said armpit. <laughs> um, not quite. Closer to night, though, than morning, uh, they found. What? I was really hoping you'd nail it. At 4 p.m. Oh, is I... generally the peak time for people's temperature. Um, and that generally goes hand in hand with, like, when your metabolism is at its highest for the day. Mm. Um, and... At 6 a.m. is typically when it's lowest. Oh. Um, and we do know the human body temperature tends to lower at night. Oh, okay. So I was absolutely wrong. No, at night, like, asleep. So not, like, yeah. 9 p.m., but, like, 3 a.m. Okay, so I was exactly wrong. No, you it, can say it, it starts to lower around 9. Like, it's not low. Okay. It's more high than low at 9 p.m. So the amount of snuggliness that I feel does I not correlate. The, yeah, I think the explanation of why is maybe where we fell okay. off. Okay, all right. Um, so it's a whole degree. Actually, it tends to be a whole degree higher at four than six. So on average in the day, wow. your body temperature can fluctuate a degree, uh, which is really important because, as uh, our audience may know, was a couple episodes ago, we were dealing with some fevers and some sickness. But mostly coughing. Um, a lot of coughing. A lot of coughing. And found that, like, you know, I think at one point you had, like, a 101 degree temperature, mm-hmm. um, which is a fever. Mm-hmm. Um, however, a 99 degree temperature could indicate a fever if you were to measure it at 6 in the morning. Yeah. Um, whereas at 4 p.m., your body temperature might actually be 99, and you're just fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that is kind of interesting, thinking about, like... Especially as a female. As, and as a female, 104, easy. Nope. 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 No. 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 Go no. to the hospital. Yeah, go to the hospital. <laughs> go to your brain is melting, please. Um, but no, but yeah, you're right. Um, and the women... I also found this interesting, is they kept saying these were higher on average, um, but all the data I looked at, and for those of you who are really into error bars and, like, significance and statistics... So intense. None of them were significantly different from each other. But they did continually find averages that were different. Okay. Um, so, again, you might have... You might know someone of the opposite sex, and they will have a lower or higher... That might be opposite of what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. That is within the range. Hmm. Um... So something I kept asking myself after this, though, was what is a fever then? Like, what what do you define as a fever? Or, like, when should you be concerned? When should you be concerned? It's mm-hmm. just, like, what is it? Yeah. Um, and I read in the Journal of General Internal Medicine that uh, a fever is just a temperature beyond the normal range of the human body temperature. A higher. Okay, I was going to say higher. higher <laughs> okay. A higher temperature. So okay. that's it. There's no... I mean, it makes no sense. Threshold. You have a natural variation. Right. Why would they name a number? Um, in the same study where they determined it was between 97.7 and 99.5 is the normal, mm-hmm. they found... So at 99.5 is when they generally... That was the cutoff for a fever. 
generally above 99.5 was this is generally outside the normal range, although they did find people who, during the day, were... Just run uh, hot. You know, run hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would go up to 100.5 degrees. So generally above 100.5 was like, this is not within normal variation. You definitely have a fever. Mm. Um, so that was helpful to know. Kind of, I feel like we most people go off the 100 degree rule. If yeah. You're above 100, like that's, that's a probably concern. a concern. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking your temperature, you might already think you're sick. Yeah. I don't know how many people take it outside of hypochondriacs who just think they're like, they I'm healthy today, mm-hmm. but I want to check. Mm-hmm. Um, and so bringing it all home back to what you started us with, putting the horse back in front. I wanted to do this as his own misconception, but it really wasn't long enough. The horse thing's just not a thing. What do you say more? What do the, you mean about the horse thing? The misconception is that he chose. So sorry, not Wunderlich. Uh, the Fahrenheit, the man. Oh, chose right. That's where I got that from. His Fahrenheit system based off the temperature of horse blood. Mm-hmm. There's some like conflicting reports that maybe he used it as a way to test the temperature of blood. Okay. But everything I read, there was nothing that really, like, strongly confirmed that, that sure. he did this. Okay. Some people said zero degrees Fahrenheit was when horse blood froze, except horse blood freezes at way lower temperatures than that. It typically runs hotter than humans. Um, nothing at all truly confirmed this where I want to share this on air. Okay. Um, but I did learn some other fun things about it. Uh, Fahrenheit had based his temperature scale off a different scale that I've never heard of called Romers or Romers. Okay. Um, which basically had the same idea, uh, but he multiplied it all the numbers by four so that there'd be more precision in between the values. Um, mm. And he had four points of emphasis on his scale. He this had, is Romers? Uh, no, this is Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. Um, he had zero degrees, which I won't ask you because it would ask you to literally name the most trivial piece of information, but it's a great piece of information. Zero degrees Fahrenheit was his standard that comes from the freezing point of a brine solution. Oh, okay. I was not clear why they <laughs> not decided... Horse blood. Not horse blood. Um, some, some, what actually had more traction was that he actually was very fond of his German hometown um, and found it a particularly cold day that it was oh, zero degrees Fahrenheit. So that is true? Uh, did you hear that? I've heard that before. Um, so that's either a very popular myth mm-hmm. or at least somewhat true. Mm-hmm. But he knew that he, at least that that could never be the basis for a system of measurement. Right. And so said, well, okay, actually brine solution freezes at this temperature, so we're going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um the other points that he wanted to calibrate off of were 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which is freezing, freezing temperature, temperature of, water. of water. Not brine water. Not brine regular water. Regular water. Regular old American water. Mm-hmm. 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Melting Oof. point of mercury. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> Kids at home, don't listen to her. And 96 degrees Fahrenheit, which at the time was believed to be the human body temperature. Um, and actually what they did find out later was the temperature of water boiling was 212, but when they calibrated back, 
they got all the numbers ended up four degrees off. Mm-hmm. And so they just said, we're just going to calibrate off boiling point of water because that's the most consistent thing they could find. Human body temperature was too random. They didn't always get water to freeze at the same temperature. The brine solution thing is so picky based off how much salt you had in it. If you can't tell, Camden is a big fan of Celsius. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. Honestly, I just wish the horse blood thing had been true so we could have just killed this over it. As I was reading through all these articles, there are so many things like, America is only one of five countries that uses Fahrenheit. Like, God, I know. I know. You're, you're a big metric fan. You're a big Celsius fan. Um, I say the more confusing, the better. Make them work for the temperature. Well, they're working for it because we literally stole some other one's scale and multiplied it by four. Mm-hmm. I would love to come up with the Camden scale that is Celsius multiplied by ten. Okay. Um... So it just goes zero to a thousand. <laughs> and people will applaud and say he's a genius. Go for it. call it the Camden's You heard it here first. Margaret? Mm-hmm? What is your misconception for the week? Thank you for asking. Um, so my misconception, well, I'll ask you, Camden. Pretend you don't know that I'm about to talk about this misconception and just say what first comes to your mind. But I don't know what you're going to talk about. Well, I know, but just don't think about it in terms of like being on your guard about misconceptions. Just, you know, you're a normal person walking down the street. You've got your your little backpack on. <laughs> you've got your little hat on. You're, you're, you've got one earbud in because you want to be aware of your surroundings. You listening to jazz? Um, you're, you know, you're just walking, speed walking, because you got to get to a meeting, but you're still just taking your time, but but with purpose. And someone says, excuse me, sir, um, how long does a horse, a housefly live for? A horse housefly? No, (laughs) how long, I'm sorry, sir, I, I, I startled myself when I asked you, how long does a housefly live? Uh, 24 hours. But does it? Oh, no, I unzip my mask and bodysuit and it's me and I'm like no wrong that's what we're talking about this week and you go put your earbud back in and you're a little more scared a little more cautious but you're still walking down the street oh so I leave and I never learned the misconception well now you are oh okay so I'm back yeah anyway thank you for engaging in that so housefly musca domestica as the Latin language tells us. So, houseflies, fairly ubiquitous, found near people, near human activities, um, famously found on farms, near horses, livestock. You know, you think about cows, like with flies all over their noses, horses batting away, flies on their backs with their tails. Um, really painted a picture of where a fly is. <laughs> You didn't know where they could be found. There's flies, a, flies, there's, I know what it, oh, I was thinking of. A I know I've seen them somewhere. Yeah. Where have I seen one? Um, I learned that they originated in Asia, but now they are found on all human inhabited land masses. So pretty much every inhabited country. I also learned that flies, the house flies at least, can't bite. Their mouth parts are used for collecting liquids, like little they sponges. Can't bite. They can't bite. Like people complain all the time about them being. Bitten. I don't think they no. Oh my god. That might be a different kind of fly. I must have called once. No, um, they use they very sexily use saliva to liquefy solid food. 
Because they can't eat solid food. They just use the little spongy mouth parts. So wait, the, the analogy to that would be me just gnawing on something. Kind of gumming. Like gumming it. But not really. it becomes liquid. No, you would, it would, the analogy would be like, you just like, you've got like a hot dog and you just like spit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Until it liquefies. Oh, that is sexy. And then that you eat it. Oh. And then you eat it again. It's worse as you named a hot dog of all the foods you could have named. <laughs> I guess oh. I could have thought of something, like, really, like, oh. hard, like a uh, biscotti. Yeah, like, just spitting on a biscotti oh. and then eating oh, the hot dog still works. Ugh. Anyway, um, so they can live longer than 24 hours, but let me tell you about their life stages, shall I? Now, remember I talked, I think, was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago that I talked about uh, um, oysters as an aphrodisiac, but I think... Is this two weeks ago or two episodes Two ago? episodes ago. Oh, okay. And I... I know I debunked the fact that, or the, the idea that oysters are aphrodisiacs, but I think listening to a description of a, a housefly's life cycle is a true aphrodisiac. Well, let's test it out. Here we go. Okay. Listeners, grab someone close to you, <laughs> or not, you're on a first date. <laughs> Settle in. So, the basic stages of a housefly's life are egg, larva slash maggot, uh, very sexy. Call it larva. Pupil. Pupae? Pupa. Pupa. Same thing, Pupil. I guess? Why did I write pupil? Pupae. I did put an A in it. I know I know another pupil. Eyes. No. Um, and then the adult stage. So let's start with an egg. Have you seen little housefly eggs before? Um, so I used to work in a fruit fly, fruit fly lab. Mm-hmm. Um, not a housefly lab. I did not. So everything I think of of flies, I think of a fruit flies and those are kind of like oblong is this not oblong they're kind of oblong they're very tiny they look like little rice mm-hmm. the fruit fly ones pretty much i'm sure fruit fruit fly eggs are much smaller even than house fly eggs Probably. but yeah they're little like tiny little smaller than rice sized eggs they're white okay um females can lay up to 500 eggs or sometimes more i was reading in groups of like they'll have kind of clutches or batches of up to a hundred um, over a three or four day stretch. So they can lay hundreds of eggs, but they tend to lay them about a hundred at a time. Um, females don't provide parental care. They just lay their eggs in a place they hope won't... Oh, did I spill your soda? You spill it everywhere. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, they, lay, they lay their eggs in a place they hope won't be disturbed by predators where there's enough food and then they, they're gone. They're gone. However, kind of like squid, um, flies lay their eggs close together, or they can, and I assume that's for protection. Um, you know, if you're not familiar, if you haven't seen squid mops, look up opalescent squid mops. That's where hundreds of squid lay hundreds of egg cases all together. It's gorgeous. I don't know if I can say that hundreds of fly egg cases would be as gorgeous all together. Say it on here. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if that would be true if I said it. Huh. Um, but for the same reasons that there's there's protection in large numbers, and the eggs have to stay moist, or they won't hatch. They can hatch in about eight hours if the temperatures are high, or it might take up to two days if the temperatures are colder. So it's funny you talked about temperature because temperature has a ton to do with the development of houseflies. Mm, must again. So we've got the eggs, the egg stages. And then we move on to the larva stage, or the larva, maggot larva, stage. Larva. 
well, either one. There were some sources that I was reading that said, like, that larvae and maggots were the same, and then other sources weren't saying that, but, but most of them that I read said that larvae and maggots are the same, so I'm just going to use them interchangeably. I like it when science really gets into the nitty-gritty <laughs> and we can't decide mm -hmm. what to call something. Sure. I think that makes people like it more. Yes, they love the intricacies. So the fly goes through three different stages of larval development. Basically, the, the larva or the maggot molts three times, just like a crab molts, a tarantula molts. Those are the things that spring to mind. But So they do that three times. I learned that the best temperature for larval development is 35 to 38 degrees Celsius. Very narrow window. Um, the maggot is legless and can crawl up to 50 feet to find a cool, dry place to become a pupa. Gonna give the listeners an idea of what's happening in my mind. <laughs> and it is nightmare fuel. <laughs> 50 feet. Um, and then I loved how um, how stuff works describe maggots. Are you ready? Maggots are little more than fleshy, sectionless tubes with hooked mouth parts used for feeding. They're really breaking it down into its parts. <laughs> fleshy. Fleshy, sectionless tubes, tubes with hooked mouth parts for feeding. So once they've molted three times, those maggots are ready to become pupas. And another sexy, sexy uh, description is pupas are cases made out of larval skin. Do these guys just like, like, you know what people don't know? Like a larva. Mm -hmm. Let's really, really paint a picture. Let's, let's be graphic. Um, so pupa, pupae, they complete their development in between 2 to 27 days. So right away there, you know that they live, that housewives live longer than a day because it takes 2 to 27 days for those pupae to develop alone, just that phase. So truly this misconception would be correct if they had said larva. That's mm, the only way. Ish. Ish. Again, it depends on the temperature. Ugh. Because I'm going to tell you something in a second that, that even that larval stage could be a long time. Um, but once that pupae, those pupa, that pupae, those pupae are ready to come out and a, an adult fly is formed, they use a sac called a tilinum, patilinum, that swells at the front of its head. They use it like a hammer to break out of the pupa. Cool. The, the case. And then once that happens, the little sack shrinks back into their head. So, <laughs> you might be wondering, how do flies survive the winter? Great question. Thank you. They survive the winter in generally their larval or pupal stages because when they're threatened with cold temperatures or by not having enough food to eat, a housefly's body can shut itself down into a hibernation-like state, and that's called diapause. And that, that state of hibernation can last for months. We need and, Laura back in here to talk about hibernation. I know, I know. Hi, Laura. And that hibernation, that diapause, can take place at any time during a housefly's life. So even that larval stage can be longer than 24 hours if conditions call for it. So we've got our egg. We've got our larva slash maggot. We've got our pupa. 
We've got the adult now. The females are larger than males. I learned that you can tell the difference between male and female flies, house flies, because adult females have a wider space between their eyes, whereas males' eyes almost touch each other. Oh. And they've got reddish eyes. Cool. So that's the general lifespan of a house fly. Um, so adults can live 15 to 25 days, but possibly, that's on average, 21 is about the average lifespan of a housefly, but they can possibly live longer, up to several months, depending on if they're colder temperatures, they live longer. Um, I learned that even without food, they can survive for two to three days. So even if conditions are the worst, they can still survive longer than 24 hours. They live longer with more food, of course. Um, they really like sugar. They live longer, again, when they're, they're cooler temperatures. And summer is when the best season. Or warmer. Cooler temperatures, they live longer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But development gotcha. is is sped up right. in the summer. Gotcha. Um and in the summer it can a fly can go through its life cycle in about seven to ten days. At the Sick. Yeah. When it's really hot. Um now I did want to talk about house flies because they are annoying. And I think maybe it's nice to believe that they live only twenty four hours because when you see one in your house you can be like, it doesn't matter. It'll be dead in a day. Wrong. But you might also, if you have a concern about a lot of flies in an area, you might be right to have that concern because, as you might know, houseflies are gross. They, <laughs> I mean, just objectively, they hang out in gross stuff like manure, garbage, sewage. Decaying pigs. Decaying stuff. Yeah, Decaying so pigs. they can have the possibility of transferring pathogens through their vomit, their poop, and their body surface, and they can transfer that to humans and animals. Um, one site, I think it was uh, Penn State, said that they could transfer around 65 diseases to humans. Luckily, there are things that we can do, um, even besides killing flies, because if you can avoid that, great. Um, there are preventative measures like good sanitation. So, <laughs> I don't know where you live, but... If you have any wet manure or wet straw lying around, get rid of it, toss it out. And then you and I can do things, you know, in our somewhat urban environment, like keeping the lids on garbage cans, making sure the dumpster lids are really tight so those, those flies can't really get in. Um, keeping garbage cans far away from entrances to buildings also discourages flies from coming right in. And keeping screens on windows, not just opening windows with no... Um, barrier between you and the flies. So, no, houseflies live much, much longer than 24 hours. And again, I'd like to thank the University of Florida, Penn State, and How Stuff Works. Yay. Yay. Thanks, flies. Keep on keeping on. So, before ending each episode, we usually have a short segment sharing something interesting that we've read, listened to, watched, or otherwise consumed this week. Camden, you want to go first? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have two. Go for it. Um, the first one is funny, and the second one is great. <laughs> um, the first one is funny. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite thing of 2019. It is. I know what you're saying. If you haven't watched it yet, it's Mitt Romney, former presidential candidate, mm -hmm. back in the good old days. Uh... On his birthday this week. <laughs> March 12th. March 12th. 
Not my birthday, thank God. Uh, blowing out the candles on his birthday cake. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to paint the picture of a grown man in a basement with no art on his walls. Um, very, no, a low ceiling, one window, um, at a desk, all of his like supporters come in. They give him a Twinkie birthday cake mm-hmm. with a bunch of candles on it. And you just have to watch it. Um, truly, aliens walk among us. That's my line. Yeah, I stole it because <laughs> I don't want to give it away. It's so beautiful. It's so weird. It's so... I think the caption on it is, Mitt Romney is a deeply weird dude. <laughs> uh, I will never forget about it, and I never hope I do. <laughs> um, and for fun, and real, real fun, and real greatness, uh, Solange... Uh, her new album, When I Get Home, is fantastic. If you haven't listened to it, turn this off. Um, listen to the whole thing. It's very short. Mm-hmm. It's like 40 minutes, but there's wow. roughly 5 billion tracks on it. How many are there, really? Uh, there's like 19. Wow. There's something crazy, like, it's a lot of tracks. In 40 minutes? Well, when I listened to it once, I was like, wait, it's over? And then I looked, I'm like, wait, there's so many tracks, I must not have listened to it all. Mm. Um, and I had. They just aren't all that long. Okay. Um. You've got a very nice, like, jazzy, like, I don't know, it's very chill feel, like, good vibes, um, um, her lyrics, what she's saying, um, like, what it, what it means for her is, is when, uh, after listening to it a couple times, it's really cool, there's lots of layers to it, um, it's just good, it's just, like, good music, mm-hmm. I like it, um. I'll listen to it tomorrow, I promise, I promise, I You're gonna hear first, listeners. Um, Yeah. Listen to it, watch Mitt Romney, um, and then and just feel great Enjoy. about yourself. <laughs> Margaret, what is something you are consuming this week? Um, it's not traditional, but I have been watching a lot of people on the bus this week. Oh, okay. I take the bus um, a couple times a week. I don't. I haven't. Didn't really calculate how many times I take it, but. Um, they're, you know, it's great for people watching. I originally, when I started riding the bus, I thought I could read a lot on the bus, but my bus route tends to usually be crowded when I take it and you have to have some space for reading, you know, like room to move your arms and stuff. And so usually I just listen to podcasts and kind of space out, but kind of watch people too, but not in a, not in a, you know, weird way, I hope, but there's just always new people to watch. I really like watching their interactions with each other. Um, I really like learning all of the bus protocol. You know, there are people who are really uh, sticklers for how you do it. You know, like when the bus is really full, you you swipe your card at the front, but then you go to the back door because people have more room to, to squeeze in back there. Um, today was so crowded. They had to do that several times. There's just this feeling of like, you know, whether you're at the bus stop or you're kind of on the bus, there's this feeling of like, well, we're all in this together, you know, like the bus was really late this morning. And so everybody at my bus stop was kind of like, oh, where is it? What's going on? And we all, you know, kind of chit chatted about that together. So it's, you know, sometimes there are some negative interactions, but on the whole, it's been a really interesting sociological uh, experiment. You know, I'll let you talk whatever you want, (laughs) as long as it's not murder. (laughs) I know you get a break from that this week. 
So thanks so, so much for listening today. You can hear more content like this from our sister wife podcast, From Ew to O, co- or hosted by me, Margaret. Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions is a podcast produced by Two Birds, One Scone. Articles, blog posts, and more about what you can do every day to conserve our environment can be found at www.twobirdsonescone.org. We have set up an email account, so if you have scientific misconceptions that you'd like explained or you want to provide feedback to us, please email us at don'tpeeonyourleg at gmail.com. Have a great week! You play the bagpipe? I was Silently. running away. I was that character oh. again. You taught me everything. Okay.